This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in to another edition of the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me as always. And before we dive in, to today's show, I want to remind you guys, we are currently running a promotion right now, 50% off an annual VIP membership. That's a one-time billing of $53.70. That's a significant dip in what you would pay on a month to month. But if you don't want to, if you don't want to go upfront and annual pay, uh, a one-time payment, you can do month to month and save some money there as well. Your first month is $1 and then $9.95 thereafter. Inside scoop, expert analysis, read all the content across the entire 24-7 sports network, not just one site. So subscribing to us, uh, you get access to Eric, you get access to Kevin, you get access to myself, you get to read all of our work, but then you also get to, to stay in touch with what our USC site is reporting, what the Alabama site is reporting, and when Oregon is recruiting at a national level, you get the full scope of the entire network and what we know. So highly encourage you guys to consider that if you can afford it today. All right, Eric, it's a Wednesday. We've got mailbags. We've got a good question. The viewer, I guess the listener, is going to dictate the show. Uh, wide ranging of topics, some football, some football recruiting, a little bit of everything in, mixed in between. Uh, let's, let's get this thing going. You mentioned at the top about the value of having subscriptions or the ability, I guess, to read what the USC moderators are saying. And this next question is kind of one of those things where you'll get a full perspective of that by reading what's over there as well. But from the Oregon perspective, let's start here from at Pack Surfrider. Number one recruit, Corey Foreman, has decommitted. I am sure Mario Cristobal and company are sending a full court press to bring him to Eugene ASAP. How would you... Matt and Eric, recruit him to Eugene if you were his primary recruiter. Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Stay safe and stay healthy. Um, and I brought up the USC angle there just because uh, this might end up being an Oregon-USC. I'm not saying it's going to be, but there could be a scenario here where, where it comes down to those two schools. Um, Matt, in terms of how you would approach this, I mean, I, I guess I'll start by saying I think you would probably want to start by just saying, look what Oregon is building defensively. Out West, there really isn't anything comparable um, the talent he would be joining would be uh, there really isn't a program out west that really can stand up to it, and he has a chance to be part of something really special, I think, defensively. And I think you have to be encouraged by what is on the current Oregon roster and what you could be building and be a part of at Oregon. Um, and, and I think really the ceiling at Oregon continues to grow, and if you can continue to bring in recruits of the foreman caliber, obviously this last class they brought in three five-stars, won the previous class with Kayvon. Um, you're talking about potentially building a little bit of a defensive dynasty. All those players are on the defensive side of the ball. You could look at an Oregon defense in 2021 that has maybe half of its starters, roughly, are five, former five-star recruits, and that's certainly not something that Oregon has been able to say in the past. Uh, Matt, what would what are some things that you would be sure to, I guess, include in a sales pitch to a recruit like Foreman? Well, first of all, I, I would say that if I was recruiting Corey Foreman here for a second, um, I, w- I would go out and, and say, well, first, Corey, 
we have a defensive end named Austin Folio. He's from Southern California. He played at Matter Day High School, powerhouse national school, powerhouse SoCal school. He is going to be a senior in the fall of 2020. He will graduate when you arrive on campus, and there's instantly an open spot in the starting lineup for the position that you play. So you know if you come to Oregon day one, you have an opportunity. You have a good opportunity to start uh, for the Ducks. Now, I would also highlight the fact that, hey, look, look what Kayvon Thibodeau did his first year at Oregon, uh, spurning USC, spurning a couple other big-time programs and coming north to Eugene. He, he ended up being the freshman of the year in the Pac-12 on the defensive side of the football uh, was, was one of the best players on Oregon's defense this past year, had a historic freshman season. We envision the same thing happening for you when you show up. And then I would also highlight the fact that Oregon is a trendy location now for Southern California players. Hey, you're, you, you would be maybe the, the best player ever to come to Oregon, uh, but you wouldn't be the only elite SoCal player to right. recently come to Oregon. It, it starts with Kayvon. You've got Justin Flo, who's a five-star linebacker, the number one player at his position in the class of 2020. He is signed with Oregon. He's the second highest rated prospect ever to sign with the Oregon Ducks. I would then say Michael Wright, look what he did on the defensive side of the football as a freshman. He's one of the best players ever to sign at Oregon, and he is from Southern California. Uh, I would go down the list and, you know, highlight two of the seniors on Oregon's roster, Diamond Lenore and Thomas Graham, you know, two players from SoCal that have thrived within the defense. And I would highlight Mace Funa. Uh, I, I would continue to go down the list. And you, you can find more and more players that are from Southern California that are having big careers at Oregon that he is aware of, that he kind of grew up around, and highlight the fact that you don't have to go to USC anymore to have the big-time success to, you know, Every SoCal player doesn't go to USC anymore, and Oregon is a, is a school that's opening things up. That's what my pitch would be. Um, I, I think the fact that they are and, – and, and lastly, I would then show them the highlights from the 2019 Oregon football game at USC and say, come be a part of this. I mean, this is what we're doing right now. I was going to say, it's kind of an unprecedented time right now where – Oregon can legitimately say, you come to Oregon and you'd be playing on roughly as talented of a defense, or maybe more so probably, than what USC has. Obviously, USC still has a ton of talent there, a lot of four- and five-star recruit talent. But Oregon actually right now, if you just went down and, and went down the line, they would certainly match up at least pretty well with USC. And you're right in terms of point to last year's head-to-head matchup. You know That was a game that was, I think, demonstrated two programs going in vastly different directions. And obviously... USC still finished with a strong season, almost made the Pac-12 Conference Championship game. But um, th- th- I think, based upon what we saw on the field last year, certainly that would be something you'd want to highlight as well. Second question from another Eric, at Eric160634, which Oregon sport will have the most first-round draft picks over the next five years? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Um, I want to clarify, are we including this year? Because if we're including this year... You know, Oregon women's basketball program just had three first-round picks last week. It, that gives them a pretty nice little head start here. If we're not including that, I think it's a pretty easy pick because I think football, the trajectory they're on, um, if we're including this year's draft, uh, you have Herbert. But if we're not even, you look forward. I think you've got Penny Sewell, who's pretty much a lock to be a first-round tri- draft pick. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, I feel similar about him. 
I wouldn't be surprised if a player like Javon Holland has a really strong, either a junior season or maybe he comes back and has a strong senior season um, and is a first-round draft pick. And if we're going five years out, you can then start including the Justin Flows, the Noah Sewells, the Dante Mannings, uh, the Mace Funa, some of these younger players on the roster um, that were highly regarded recruits that obviously haven't proven it at the college level but are people that you have to keep an eye out for for being those type of players down the line. Um, I think football is the pretty clear choice if we're not including this year's women's WNBA draft. If we are including that, I think it could get kind of close because you look at what the Oregon women's program has currently on its roster with all those five-star recruits. Um, a number of them would be eligible to be drafted during this five-year period. Um, you think about the five five-stars that are, are part of this most, you know, this incoming recruiting class. You talk about a Sedona Prince, maybe a Nyara Sabali as players that are on the current roster. Maybe a Taylor Chavez takes a big step that could get there. Um, I think the men's side is probably harder to predict, Matt, and I'll probably turn it over to you for that. But do you, what's your, I guess, initial response to which sport you, th- you see? And then on the men's side, kind of who are some names that we should be aware of maybe over the next couple of years that could be first-round players? Give me football. Um, yeah. I, I feel like even though if we count the women's basketball program's three first-round draft picks, the football team will go beyond that because we've got Justin Herbert this season. We'll get Penny Sewell next year. Kayvon Thibodeau is three, and we still have two more years left of, of a window. Or maybe maybe it's three if we're not count if if we're not including this year. But let's just say we will. Yeah. You still have two more years just to get one more guy, and you've got like a Stephen Jones, you've got a Mikhail Wright, you've got um, a Noah Sewell, a Justin Flo, uh, Devin Williams, Tyler Shuck. So I, I I think there's a lot of there's a there's there's a higher probability football produces that fourth player to go yeah. in the first round than the women's basketball team. Aaron Bowley doesn't feel like she's going to be a first round draft pick, and, and maybe she just explodes as the go to player next season and gets there. But well, you know, right now I don't think so. Um, I think it's extremely too early to talk about the freshmen that they've signed and kind of where they fit there. Maybe Sedona Prince becomes uh, a first-round draft pick, but give me football just because, A, they have more players, B, they're recruiting at just as high of a level as the women are, and I, I think the football team has the athletes already on the roster right now to get to get to four, to get to five. Um, basketball, it's up in the air. I mean, follow Dante, if he shows that he's healthy as a sophomore, he will be a first-round draft pick and has the production that he is expected to have. I think Will Richardson could be kind of a sneaky first, late first-round pick, maybe ne- even as early as next year. Same thing with Chris Duarte. Um, C.J. Walker was a guy that was generating first-round draft pick discussion at the beginning of this season. Uh, if he takes a leap in his play as a sophomore, maybe as a junior, we could see him kind of get back into that discussion as well. So I think the, the men's basketball team is certainly a much higher sliding scale. Uh, the women may have the potential, but I'm going to go with the football team because they've got the, I think they have the, they have the, they're the safer pick and we know more about the guys that they have on the team. Yeah, I think. To me, I land the same place just because I think it's pretty safe to say that Penny Sewell, Kayvon Thibodeau are going to be first-round picks uh, going forward. I don't know if you can really – I think Sedona Prince, based upon what 
Coach Graves said on the podcast with us, uh, I guess it was last month now, but uh, just about how talented she is, chance to be a top overall pick or whatever. Uh, certainly, you have to be really excited about her, but we still haven't seen her play. And uh, I think you kind of want to make sure before we make any proclamations that she's going to be the first overall pick, uh, we, we want to at least get a season of her being healthy. She's going through injuries. So uh, I think football makes a ton of sense in terms of you've got some built-in choices. There are certainly other players that are, have that potential on that ceiling. It's a good question. I think one that's going to be kind of fun to monitor over the next couple of years because I do think Oregon, from a draft perspective, probably has a higher ceiling program to program to program right about now than it has in a really, really long time. I, you know, I think maybe men's basketball ceiling was a couple of years ago with some of the five stars that they landed, but um, certainly that continues. And then women's basketball and football, it feels like they're kind of taking steps towards another level here. And I wouldn't really be surprised at all if we look up and within this five-year window, depending on when we start, but from a football perspective, if there are four to six first-round draft picks over that span. I just think there's enough talent on the roster and enough young players that could develop into stars um, to make it really enticing. Third question from at Bad Gordy. One, besides Justin Flo, who else enrolled with him? Um, prior to, you know, when, this is kind of a complicated question for a couple of reasons because there was a bunch of players that were supposed to be enrolling for the second part of spring, but we do know in terms of who was here for the first part of spring, uh, we had a handful of freshmen with Noah Sewell, Jay Butterfield, JJ Greenfield, Braden Swinson, Jonathan Dennis, and Jake Shipley here. We also had a couple of junior college players with Bennett Williams and TJ Bass uh, also taking part in, in spring. So those players are clearly enrolled. They've already taken part in practice. Uh, Matt, other players that we think might have enrolled or that there's a possibility of, obviously a lot of this will take place over the summer. And, and given what's going on right now, and there's probably quite a bit of uncertainty about how any of this is going to play out. Yeah, outside of the, the main group that showed up week in the first week of spring football, um, Really, the only guy that's enrolled is Justin Flo, the five-star linebacker uh, from Southern California. And that's a big deal just because uh, we've there, there were certainly a lot of rumors about USC still trying to get him not to go to, to, US, to Oregon. That would, in theory, be tampering. Um, but, look, there was a lot of smoke around it. Everybody else is going to enroll, whether that's on campus or digitally, whether the school is open or not in time in mid-June uh, to, to join the football team. So that would mean five-star Dante Manning, four-star quarterback Luke Hill, four-star receiver Chris Hudson, four-star quarterback Robbie Ashford, four-star athlete Jaden Everett, uh, four-star D-tackle Jason Jones, and uh, there's a couple other three-star guys that are going to make the list. You know, Benson, Afasi, LaDuke, Jeffers, Harper, Lalau, and Smith. Um, Anthony Brown will also enroll shortly around that period as well. But I want to, real quick, I want to pivot on this question. Yeah. And Jason Jones is a guy that, defensive tackle, four-star player, 320th player in the, in the country, this is a guy who Alabama passed on because of his body type. They weren't really sure if he was in good shape or not. He was overweight, 340 pounds, 6'7". Mobility was maybe a little lacking. And he's done a really good job this offseason of transforming his body to where it was pre-injury when Alabama offered him. And he could become a steal for the Ducks. I was really high on Jones from a physical perspective when they were recruiting. I mean, you went and watched what he was. 
he, for a guy his size, was fairly athletic, was fairly explosive. But you're right. You see the physical changes he's made and obviously a commitment uh, to getting his body right and fixing his body. This could be kind of like a Jordan Scott 2.0 sort of thing. Obviously, they play a little different positions, different body types in terms of the height. But both players that came from that southeast footprint that had interest from a lot of big-time schools, but there was some concern about kind of how they were carrying their weight. And both players, well, Scott certainly over his career, did a fantastic job of transforming his body and did it really quickly. And by his freshman year, he was arguably Oregon's best defensive lineman or certainly one of them. Um, I don't know if we want to say Jason Jones is going to arrive and have that kind of an impact because I think that's really a lot to ask. But I wouldn't be surprised at all if you look at a guy like Jones and if he's getting himself, you know, the physical skills are there. It was just about what, what he can do to get himself completely ready and to cut some weight that probably didn't need to have and to kind of round back into form after some injuries. If he's there... He could be a guy that, yeah, maybe we're really sleeping on his production and his involvement and how much he could be uh, an asset for Oregon, not just down the line, but maybe immediately in 2020. So, yeah, I'm with you on on Jones. I think that's a guy that was a sneaky kind of late addition, kind of flew under the radar a little bit. It was similar to Jordan Scott where it was, well, big schools don't like him. There's concerns about his weight and how he's going to carry it. But if he figures it out, look what happened with Jordan Scott. It was obviously a really, really nice fit. Yeah, he suffered an injury that really kind of – set him back in his development and now he's healthy. But just think about these schools that have offered and just kind of the reputations that come with them defensively, LSU, Georgia, Florida, Auburn, Alabama. I mean, those are the schools, a handful of schools that offered him. And I just, I look at this and think this is going to be a guy that's already shed a lot of weight. I mean, he, he was listed at 340 when we, when, we last saw him and updated him. Um, he's closer now, supposedly down to 315, 310. I, I really think this is a guy that will probably redshirt in 2020. He'll play four games. He'll redshirt. And then as a redshirt freshman in the 2021 season, he could be in line to start for Oregon at the defensive tackle once Jordan Scott graduates and moves on. Yeah, I mean, and that's kind of what you have to look at is what, what the fit might be with him. And, and you're right. I think it sort of sets up nicely. Um, that defensive line group there, obviously losing a handful of guys that were valued in this, this current offseason. And then going forward, they're gonna there's going to have to be some sort of remodeling process here because the, the line in 2021 is going to look a lot different than it did in 2019 and, and even in 2020. But I think you're right. I think there are bodies on this roster that have the chance to fit there. I think the exciting part is seeing how this all comes together. Um, because I think a lot of these prospects, especially in, in this current 2020 class that are coming in, they're high upside guys that have sort of some questions about how they're going to develop. But if one or multiple or all of them reach that potential, you're looking at a really talented, exciting group. And, and just I think with the way that you've seen Salavea develop talent too, um, you have to be really optimistic about the way this is going to go. Uh, you, I mean, we talk about the guys that are starting there, with the exception of Thibodeau. These aren't elite, elite recruits that everyone coast-to-coast wanted. These are guys that were certainly capable, high three-star guys, but these aren't four- and five-star recruits. And if you can, and we've seen what they can do. Now, if you see that needle move up a little bit, and these are recruits that are maybe a little bit more high upside, um, again, I think the potential is there for this to really be a nice development. And this line could be a thing where, we go into that offseason being like, boy, this could be kind of a rebuilding year. They've got Thibodeau back, but we don't know what else they have. 
Um, but maybe it'll be a thing where we actually end up feeling really comfortable because of what we see during this current season and during the offseason that follows. All right, let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Pramer. Scopel's with me. Uh, halfway through the mailbag, three more questions to go. Fourth question from at Burton LaPlum. I'm a big fan of Isaac SM at middle linebacker, yet after watching high school tape of Justin Flo and Noah Sewell, I can't imagine a scenario where these five-star freshmen are not the two best linebackers on the team. They are special talents. How do you see the rotation at linebacker? Could Noah be used at stud? Um... Absolutely, you watch the tape on those two guys, and you have to stand out. I mean, I think those are two of the more impressive high school huddle films I've watched, um, especially for players that end up signing in Oregon, certainly. Uh, those guys are in- incredibly impressive. But I also think we have to be realistic about, look, the reality is, like, Isaac Slade's a college linebacker who started at Oregon for a full season. He's played a lot before that. Samson News going into his senior season. He's played a lot of football at Oregon. I don't think these guys you can expect can just walk in and win the job. Now, I've predicted that I think one of Flo or Sewell will beat out Samson New to start. I've said Flo in the past. Um, I still kind of think that's going to go. And, of course, I'm making that proclamation sight unseen, which is a little dangerous. Um, but I think the talent is there. But I would be – I don't know if I can say that I expect both of them to come in uh, and immediately start and be the best linebackers on the team. Uh, and then in terms of Noah Sewell used at stud, uh, that was a thing that I thought worked and made a lot of sense previously, but based upon what we saw during the spring and Crystal Ball's comments, it sounds like they really like him at inside linebacker. That's where he'll start his career. That doesn't mean there can't be a position move and he moves outside to stud, um, where kind of makes Funa seems to have that job. I don't want to say locked down, but he's certainly leading that position group um, at the moment at least, or was this spring. Um, so it's, could Sewell play stud? Yeah, absolutely he could, but based on what we saw in the spring, certainly um, the indication was that they liked him as an inside linebacker, and so maybe you could see those two paired together, but I think at least to start the season and honestly throughout the season, I just don't see Isaac Slade getting beaten out fully by one of these freshmen. Do you? I mean, I, I know it's possible, Matt, but where's your inkling on that? Are, are you thinking that these two guys are going to step on campus and immediately set the world on fire and be the stars, or, or are you thinking it's going to take some time? I'm with you. I look at there's always a recency bias, right? Of these five stars are going to step in and they're going to be superstars and they're going to be gone in three seasons. And and yes, that you know that could be the case. And we're seeing that play out with Kayvon Thibodeau. But 
Kayvon Thibodeau didn't show up day one and start at Oregon. It required an injury uh, to Gus Cumberlander for Thibodeau to be placed into the starting lineup and go from a guy that was playing roughly 40% of the game to playing probably 80% of the game. And that's when we saw Thibodeau kind of explode um, from a stat production standpoint. Like he... Gus Cumberlander was not just a, a, a token starter when when he was healthy this past season. He he provided some things that early on Thibodeau just couldn't couldn't do, couldn't give Oregon's defense. And Thibodeau himself came out and said that you know he needed about four or five games to kind of get his bearings right and adjust. And then he also said he needed to play. And you know once that both of those things happened, he he took off and we saw what he what he did. Um, I'm with you. I think Isaac Slade is entrenched as the starter. I mean, he was a really good starter for last year's defense, Absolutely. which, mind you, was one of the best defenses in the country. So it's not like this is a guy that was a, a, a rotation guy. No, he was a starter. He was the quarterback of the defense. He was the one that set everything up. So I I would be pretty shocked if Isaac does not start a majority of the 2020 football season unless injuries happen. And he just gets hurt for whatever reason. And, and God forbid you don't want to wish that on anybody. But if an injury happens, then yeah, you can't control that. But from a non-talent perspective, I, I think Isaac is going to be Oregon's starting linebacker. And quite honestly, I think he'll probably be Oregon's statistically maybe their best linebacker. Doesn't mean he's the most talented, but he probably will be statistically the best because he's got the experience and he's a pretty talented player. But I think between Flo and Sewell, one of them, will start a majority of the season, or they'll kind of rotate at that starting spot. But uh, I'm with you. Samson New might start week one. Maybe he maybe he doesn't start week one. Um, and Flo or Sewell wins the job right away. But at some point, I think we'll see one of the two freshmen start, and we'll see the other one play considerable snaps as, as a reserve player. This is going to be my little like hot take moment here, Matt, and I wonder if you'll agree, but I, I think there might be a better chance that Isaac Slade is a all-conference performer. I'm not going to say first team or second team specifically, but one of those teams. Then there is that he's beaten out and doesn't start this season. I, I, mean, I think the potential is there for, for him to really take a big step here um, going into his junior season. I thought he really showed some stuff as a sophomore, right? He was really that quarterback of that defense, kind of an underrated part of what they were doing. Uh, led the team in pass deflections, by the way, which is really unusual for a linebacker, so he was pretty active in a variety of different aspects of the game. Um, but I, I really think that the more, what's more likely is that he takes a step and is is an even better player and one of the better linebackers in the conference. Um, I find that to be a more likely outcome than we see a true freshman beat him out and he's suddenly uh, coming in as a, as a reserve or used in special packages. I just don't see that happening, but... Uh, that's kind of my hot take on that, and, and I think probably a lot of people listening might actually sort of agree with that to a certain extent, but obviously there are people, um, like the, the one posting the question, that, that are really excited about this freshman class, as they should be, but don't forget about what these players have already accomplished who are already on campus. All right, fifth question from at SmithGarrett91. What jersey number has led to the most success in Oregon athletics? We are, in, we are still in quarantine, and I'm running out of ideas for questions. Hashtag odds and audibles. Well, thank you, Garrett, for making an effort here. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure how much of a thought Matt put into this, but I, I ran through a couple of different numbers, and I, mostly thinking about kind of the most recent, maybe the last 15 to 20 years here for this. But 
three numbers that stood out to me that have had a really solid player in multiple sports. Uh, the first one that came to mind was number 24. You have Dylan Brooks, you have Kenyon Barner, and you have Ruthie Hebert. That's a pretty strong number. That's a pretty strong collection from all three of those sports. Um, number zero, you have Aaron Brooks and Satu Sabali. That's not a bad combination. Number three, you have Peyton Pritchard and Joey Harrington. That's also pretty darn good. And Joe um, Young. And Joe Young. There you go. That making number three even even stronger number. Um, I don't know, Matt. Did you have any that really stood out? I, I was... It's kind of an odd question, and as the the question asker kind of indicates, it's kind of running out of ideas. It is interesting kind of thinking about the way different jersey numbers are, are worn throughout different sports and kind of where uh, maybe they're, they're most prevalent. But, Matt, did you have any that stood out? The ones that stood out to me were 3 and 20. Obviously, 3 has, has Joey Harrington and Peyton Pritchard and Joe Young. All of those guys were Pac-10, Pac-12 players of the year at, at their respected sports. Number 20. We have Freddie Jones, we have Sabrina oh, Inescu, man. and we have Kenny Wheaton. Uh, I, I would argue that's a very, very formidable trio. I forgot, right I forgot about Fred Jones. I forgot about Fred Jones. I, 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 I had Wheaton in my head, but I couldn't find a third one. Oh, that is a good one too. 20 is a good pick. So I, I think I, I would just, I would gravitate towards three and I would uh, gravitate towards, uh, 20. I think 24 is in the discussion too, because I think Dylan Brooks, obviously Pac-12 player sure. of the year, Hubert is strong, very, very one of the top women's players, and Kenyon Barner, and they're probably, and I'm sure listeners are going like, you're forgetting about this guy and that guy. Well, we probably are, but maybe let us know in the comments. Um, that those are some pretty strong op- options there, and again, I'm sure that there are numbers that we're kind of blanking on, and if there are, let us know. All right, final question from at Quackhead12. When the one-time no-restriction transfer rule is approved, won't it eliminate the excitement of the national signing period? Can Duck fans really celebrate Justin Flo knowing he could go to USC without setting foot on Oregon's campus? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Um, Matt, why don't you go ahead and kind of jump in on, on your impressions of this potential uh, rule change? Um, I look at this and think, Overall, it's a good thing because it gives more power to the athlete. I think it's highly unfair that a college coach could get up and leave today and whether it be an assistant or a head coach, make more money at another job and be eligible to coach right away and make that money next season. Whereas the college athlete, if he comes to Oregon or let's say he goes to Northwest technical school of sciences and they all of a sudden you know eliminate his major and while he likes the school likes the campus uh like likes the facilities likes the coaching staff all of a sudden his major is eliminated and or maybe the requirements for his major change or something happens academically or maybe something back home happens where a family member all of a sudden becomes greatly ill and he needs to head home. Or maybe he's dealing with mental health issues being so far away from home yeah. and he wants to go home and, and play. This gives him an option. Now, it's not sim- as simple as I'm going to leave and be eligible right away. He has to be in academic standing. So if you are not passing your classes, you are not eligible the next year. You have, you also have to leave the school that you were previously at in good order, meaning you can't be suspended or you can't have some academic suspension. 
Um, you have to be academic and athletically in good in good standing with that school to be eligible right away. So it's it's not necessarily cut and dry, but I think that the reality is is this is going to benefit schools more than it's going to hurt schools at at the level that Oregon is at. Just because I I think it, just as often as there's going to be a guy that comes west from Florida or from Georgia or from Texas or wherever, and he gets homesick after one year, there's going to be that kid that leaves California to go to Clemson and or goes to Georgia or goes or from Washington to Ohio State or from Arizona to Ohio to, to Michigan. You know, there's going to be a, there's going to be guys that say this just isn't for me. It's not what I thought it was going to be. I'm ready to leave. I want to go be closer to home and play right away. And Oregon will be a factor for those recruits if if they're good players. Um, it also, I think, gives coaching staffs a little bit more flexibility because maybe a guy isn't working out after two years at Oregon, and Oregon can can sit down and have a serious conversation with him and say, hey, look, we we really appreciate your, your effort and practice. You're a no-nonsense guy. You're doing everything the right way, and we, we're going to honor your scholarship as long as you want to be here. But we also want to be honest with you and tell you that just it hasn't – you are so far down the depth chart, and in your next two seasons, we just don't see a scenario playing out where you're going to play a lot of minutes. And maybe this is the motivation to prove me wrong as as as, a, as your head coach, but but more than likely, it, playing time is going to be extremely difficult for you to earn. And so, if you want to look for playing time closer somewhere else, that's totally fine in our book. If you want to stay and you want to and you want to be uh, a role, a deep reserve, that's totally fine. And and maybe that that kid opens up and says, "Yeah, you know what? I'm probably not going to play, but if I if I go to Sacramento State." And I'm eligible to play right away. Or if I go to Cal, I'm eligible to play right away. Or if I go to San Diego State, I'm eligible to play right away. I get to play. And he could leave. And in, in theory, it helps Oregon get one more scholarship for that next, for that current recruiting class. Um, I, I, I just think there's a lot of benefits for this. I, I don't see a, a ton of negatives. And if, if coaches complain about it, boo-hoo, because they make millions and the athletes don't. Yeah, and in terms of the context of eliminating excitement from national signing day or the signing periods, I don't understand. I don't think that's the case. Um, you know, players are still going to sign 98, 99% of them are going to honor that signature and go to that school. I don't think you're opening up a scenario here where you're going to suddenly see, you know, 10% of a recruiting class sign, you know, with one school and then land at other schools around the country. I don't think that's what is setting up. And if that is the case, that would be quite disappointing. But uh, I, I don't know. I don't see this being like an extent. I don't see this basically being that these LOIs are null and void and that players can jump and round as much as they want whenever they want. Um, as Matt stated there, I mean, there's, there's some things and you know, there, there, there are basically rules that you can't break here. You can't just jump from one school to another. You can't sign with one school and then a week later go to another school. So, um, I, I, I think I agree with you, Matt. I think there's a lot of, a lot more positive here than negative. And of course, there are always going to be growing pains when you make changes to rules. And there are probably going to be, there's probably going to be some frustrations from schools, bigger schools, smaller schools, all of them over this or that or the other. But I think ultimately, you're looking out for the student athlete and, and you're trying to find a way 
um, to kind of cater to their needs. And given the history of what we've seen, uh, that has not always been taken into account. So I, I'm with you in terms of thinking this is more a positive than a negative. And in terms of the signing day piece, um, I, I get it, but I don't think that's going to end up being something that you have to be too concerned about. And we've already seen recruits kind of arrive and then shortly thereafter transfer out of the football program. I mean, go back to 2018, right? Wasn't there, uh, Rucker Rootmeyer that, that enrolled and, or was that 2017? And, and, and he enrolled at Oregon and then shortly thereafter he bounced, uh, and he's playing at Vanderbilt. Go look at the 2018 recruiting class, Jalen Hall. He showed up, and after one spring practice, he left the football program. And shortly thereafter, you know, his issues, he got arrested. Uh, but he had left the program. He, he just left after being at Oregon for just a couple of weeks. Uh, in that same class, Jamal Elliott, he went through all of spring football and then decided, you know what, this isn't for me. I need to personally go home and... He went back home to North Carolina and is playing football at a small school back east. Um, I, this happens already. I mean, guys are already bouncing. Um, it, does that mean it's going to happen even at a higher level? Probably not. I, I, I think there's always just this reaction of let's instantly think of worst case scenario. And, and, and could it happen in, in a one, a, a, a small sample size, sure, but I, I think um, more than likely what's going to happen is it's going to happen a couple times here and there, but also Oregon's going to benefit from it. There's going to be guys that that, that want to come and, and play right away and, and will show up at Oregon and be eligible to play right away. All right, that's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. Appreciate you guys for sending your questions. Keep using that. Hashtag odds and audibles on social media looking at the questions. A lot of these were derived from using that hashtag. Uh, so you can message us. You can use the hashtag as well. Greatly appreciate you guys sending in the questions. Until next time, for Eric Scopel, myself, Matt Prem, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Hello, everyone. It's Mike Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search... The rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets.